0: Welcome to the Hogan Levels False Claims Act podcast series. These episodes will focus on many important cases and issues that have surfaced in 2020, shaping False Claims Act enforcement today and in the years to come. In this six part podcast series, our lawyers will analyze some key developments to help you prepare if the government comes calling with tough questions. Welcome to the final podcast in our series on the False Claims Act. As we enter 2021, we're still enduring the effects of a global pandemic and determining its impact on how we work and live. We're also looking at a new presidential administration here in the United States. With the commencement of this new administration, it's customary to consider what changes there might be in the priorities of the Department of Justice. With that in mind, we believe that there are several areas where close scrutiny of False Claims Act enforcement is warranted. My name is David Bastian. I'm a senior associate in the Hogan Lovells Boston office. Joining me today on this final episode is Michael Tice. Mike is one of the co-leaders of the False Claims Act practice here at Hogan Lovells and has been on the front line of litigation involving allegations of fraud and false claims. Also joining us today is Maria Durant, the managing partner of Hogan Lovells in Boston. Maria advises clients in the life sciences and healthcare sectors in connection with criminal, civil, and regulatory enforcement matters, as well as related complex civil litigation. For those of you listening, we are recording this podcast from our homes in light of COVID-19 social distancing guidelines. Mike, I'd like to start with you. As we look ahead, what are you seeing in regards to the False Claims Act and the areas that might be under increased scrutiny in the future?
1: Well, thanks, David. It's a pleasure to uh, be with you talking about this today. And I guess the first thing that I would uh, underscore is something that you've already touched on. The most obvious thing is that we have uh, a new presidential administration that has just been sworn in and a new attorney general although I think it's fair to say that every administration wants to demonstrate that it has a strong anti-fraud enforcement effort. It's fair to point out that the False Claims Act recoveries during the Trump administration declined steadily over the four years uh, that President Trump was in office, from uh, almost $3.4 billion in fiscal year 2017 to just $2.2 billion last year. Um, that's a very big decrease from uh, the years of the Obama administration when there were uh, several years of recoveries of 5 uh, to $6 billion. Uh, last year's recoveries of $2.2 billion uh, are the lowest in more than a decade for the United States Department of Justice. I think um, it's the lowest annual recovery since
0: 2008. That's interesting. And what do you think accounts for that decrease, Mike?
1: Well, it's always difficult to know for sure. You you can kind of guess about these things, but it is often the case that one or two big settlements can have a huge impact on the recoveries in any given year for the department. Uh and that could be true again. There might be some things um waiting in the wings that um you know w- will get finalized here in the early months of 2021. Um, but I, I do think that it's fair to assume that the reduced coveries um, from the period from 2017 to 2020 reflect, at least in part, uh, the adoption of a more pro-business attitude within the Department of Justice during the Trump administration. As as you uh, undoubtedly know, one of the hallmarks of the Trump administration was an effort to reduce the regulatory burdens on business. And that policy was reflected to some extent in the enforcement priorities of the Department of Justice. Um, I'll give you just two examples. One is that the department adopted um, written policies that made it more difficult, for example, for the Department of Justice to rely upon agency sub-regulatory guidance documents. Uh, in False Claims Act enforcement. So moving away from um, policies or guidance that had been adopted by executive branch agencies, that imposed a a bit of an obstacle for the department to proceed in some cases. And then of course, the department also adopted uh, formally the so-called Granston Memorandum drafted by Michael Granston. Which clarified the circumstances under which the department would seek dismissal of declined qui cases.
0: And what do you expect from this new incoming Biden Harris and Garland Justice Department?
1: The appointment of uh, Judge Merrick Garland to be the Attorney General uh, by by President Biden uh, could signal a strengthened. Uh, anti-fraud enforcement efforts by the department. Uh, judge Garland has been a judge on the District of Columbia Circuit Court of Appeals for more than two decades and has, during that period of time, taken positions supportive of a uh, fairly expansive view of the False Claims Act. Um, let me give you just a couple of examples. In United States, ex Yesudian versus Howard University, Judge Garland uh, wrote for the court in holding that a plaintiff Who alleged that he had been fired by Howard University for whistleblowing could sue under the False Claims Act for retaliation. And then, in a uh, perhaps better-known case, United States ex rel. Totten versus Bombardier, uh, in 2004, Judge Garland was actually in the dissent. He dissented from a decision where the District of Columbia Circuit held that the False Claims Act does not apply to false claims submitted to Amtrak because Amtrak is a federal grantee, not an executive branch agency. And and in his dissent, Judge Garland expressed some concern that the court's uh, interpretation of the statute would impede the government's ability to pursue false claims against federal grantees. That dissent is credited by, credited by many with... Um, prompting or serving as a catalyst for the Fraud Enforcement and Recovery Act of 2009, which extended liability to claims submitted to government grantees.
0: Thank you, Mike. And Maria, I'd love to uh, get your perspective on uh, the so-called Granston Memorandum that Mike alluded to. What do you see as DOJ's more active role in seeking to dismiss declined tam suits? Do you see that
2: changing at all? Thanks, David. Um, The the Granston memo that Mike referenced provided defendants with a very detailed checklist of the factors that the Department of Justice will consider in determining whether to file a motion to dismiss a declined case, and defendants have very actively and aggressively solicited government motions to dismiss in cases of questionable merit. I would not expect to see a dramatic change in the way that the dismissal power is used by the new administration. The Granston Memo itself is official Department of Justice policy. It's incorporated as part of the Justice Manual that guides DOJ trial attorneys and assistant U.S. attorneys, and it makes it therefore more difficult for the department to make any sort of a big shift away from past practice. Having said that, though, the dismissal power has always been invoked sparingly, and I would not expect a new presidential administration to have significant impact on that. And I agree with Mike that Attorney General Garland is likely to be somewhat less hostile to the KETAM provisions of the False Claims Act than Attorney General Barr was, and on the margins, might be less inclined to invoke the dismissal power. I would also note, though, that there are several different approaches in the circuit courts. This creates an opportunity for the Supreme Court to weigh in on the standard that must be met by the government when it does seek dismissal. The Supreme Court has shown a perennial interest in False Claims Act jurisprudence. And so that circuit split on the dismissal standard is one. Um, among a number of circuit splits on False Claims Act issues that could prompt the Supreme Court to accept a petition for writ of certiorari.
0: Mike, what about you? Do do you see the DOJ's more active role seeking dismissals of declined key TAM suits? Do you see that changing at all?
1: No, I I don't see any big changes in government dismissal of declined cases. Um, I mean, I would point out that in the last two or three years, like from 2018 to 2020, um, there have probably been more instances where the department has sought to de- to dismiss declined cases than in all of the previous years going back to the amendments of the statute in 1986. So there there has been this increased cadence of of government motions to dismiss. And, you know, that is perhaps a reflection of the adoption of the of the Granston memo. And I think that it is fair to say that Attorney General Barr was someone who at least at some points in his career had expressed some concerns about the constitutionality of the Queton provisions. But, you know, having said all of that, the, the government just has not invoked this power very often. And I would not expect to see a big change in that, I, either more cases or less cases uh, being dismissed uh, by the government. Where you might see some difference, differences around the margins is I do think that a, a an administration, you know, like uh, President Biden's administration and a Department of Justice under uh, Judge Garland, Uh, might be more inclined to uh, rely on agency guidance. You might see a modest return towards uh, a greater reliance on agency guidance in, in False Claims Act cases, only because the current administration is more likely to give deference to executive branch agency policymaking and regulation than Uh, the last administration.
0: And it looks like there are quite a few potential developments with respect to FCA enforcement that is absolutely crucial for businesses as they move forward. So looking ahead to the new year, how are you advising clients as they maneuver through these sometimes murky waters?
1: I think there's a couple of things that our clients should be aware of. And there has been a lot of talk about this and a lot of discussion about this in in the trade press. But... Certainly, the government spending on COVID-19 uh, stimulus legislation is very likely uh, to be followed by a period of strong False Claims Act enforcement. And I would note that the Department of Justice announced the filing of 672 new Tam suits being filed under seal in 2020, uh, which is the most uh, since 2017 and the department itself has opened a very large number of cases that are not uh, filed under the Queton provisions of the false claims act where the department itself itself is uh, appears to be proceeding with the investigation so there there seems to be a strong pipeline for the government in uh, false claims act investigations and enforcement and that is just bolstered by the amount of money that is being uh, spent uh, in connection with COVID-19 related uh, stimulus spending. So that's always been the pattern um, with previous spending sprees by the government, uh, whether under the Troubled Asset Relief Program or the the TARP program uh, that followed after the 2008 financial crisis or uh, some of the disaster relief spending that was done in the wake of Hurricane Sandy and Katrina. Uh, or increased defense spending in connection with um, conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan, the, you, you see these large spending programs uh, followed by aggressive anti-fraud enforcement by the Department of Justice. Uh, and um, certainly the Kuitam Relators Bar is uh, well aware of and keenly interested in um, the spending that is taking place under the various COVID-19 stimulus bills. And our clients should expect that there will be active enforcement in 2021 and that the department will make the investigation and prosecution of fraud schemes related to that COVID-19 spending a high priority.
0: And Maria, same question to you. What's your advice to clients in light of some of the present uncertainty that we've been discussing?
2: Well, I completely agree with Mike. Um, When you look at the resources that the Department of Justice has already dedicated to looking at um, spending through these uh, COVID-19 stimulus packages, I I think it is fair to expect that we're going to see increased scrutiny and False Claims Act investigations. At the same time, though, the manner in which the stimulus funding was dispersed might actually make it more difficult for the government to prevail ultimately in False Claims Act suits. And that's because a lot of the spending was done by requiring vague certifications um, and very little agency guidance or only ambiguous guidance. Um, perhaps promulgated without a lot of forethought. By example, certifications required under the Paycheck Protection Program um, require that loan funding is, quote, necessary to support ongoing business obligations. When you have that subjective element in the certification, it does make it more difficult for the government to prevail, and it it creates obstacles for the government in showing that the beneficiaries of these programs, whether it's CARE Act or the PPP loan program or other stimulus programs, knowingly defrauded the government. So while we should Expect FCA enforcement related to COVID 19 funding. The legislation itself and the weak implementing guidance actually will offer several avenues of potentially very strong defenses for clients facing these investigations.
0: Mike, what else should we be looking for as we head into the new year?
2: I think there are
1: a couple of um, things to look for. I I want to pick up on something that Maria said, though, that I I think is really important. You, You know, I'm very familiar with one of the programs under the CARES Act that has a uh, certification requirement that that you know basically says to the person receiving the cares act uh, funding that that they have to demonstrate that they have not furloughed employees or that they have kept employees on um, you know to the greatest extent practicable. That sounds uh, really good, but, you know, what does greatest extent practicable mean <laughs> in the context of a certification like this? You know, how how far do you have to go to demonstrate that you have tried to maintain your workforce or not reduced uh, hours or those kinds of things? I, I think these are going to be some really tough questions that are going to be played out in the litigation Uh, Under these stimulus bills. The other areas I would say uh, that we should look for continued development in the lower courts of what the Supreme Court described in Escobar, the the Supreme Court decision about implied false certification uh, liability under the False Claims Act as the rigorous and demanding uh, materiality standard uh, that is outlined by that opinion i think the courts are going to continue to struggle with the supreme court's instruction that the false claims act is not an all-purpose anti-fraud statute or you know a vehicle for punishing garden variety breaches of contract or regulatory violations those are direct quotes from the case and what we have seen over the past couple of years since the Escobar decision was decided and what I would expect to continue to see is courts really struggling to figure out what are the cases that deserve to be handled under the False Claims Act and what are the cases that really should be treated as garden variety breaches of contract or regulatory violations. Um, one aspect of the materiality cases really warrants a close study in the next year or so, I think and that is whether courts are going to continue to view inaction by the government after the filing of a quitam complaint as some kind of evidence of a lack of materiality or as demonstrating the lack of uh, materiality uh, in false claims act cases. The Department of Justice is quite adamant in pushing back on that proposition, uh, although the Supreme Court seems to have invited that scrutiny um, because of some of the language in the Escobar uh, decision. Um, a couple other areas deserve uh, quick mention. First, I, I think you know healthcare fraud is going to continue to dominate false claims act uh, filings, but I would not be surprised to see an increase in cases arising under um, uh, defense procurement programs, and as as we said, under the CARES Act and um, PPP and some of the other COVID stimulus spending. Spending has increased in in defense procurement, and I think we should expect that investigations and suits will follow. Um, False Claims Act cases related to the opioid crisis uh, may have peaked, but I would also look for continued strong enforcement efforts related to violations of the anti-kickback statute. That seems to be an area that has gotten a lot of scrutiny by the Department of Justice in the last few years, and they really seem to have... Um, honed their theory uh, of False Claims Act liability based on anti-kickback statute violations, and they now have a well-developed plan for prosecuting those kinds of cases.
0: Maria, do you have anything else you'd like to add uh, to the comments Mike just gave?
2: Just picking up on Mike's comment about health care fraud continuing to dominate False Claims Act filings in the year ahead and under the new administration, I, I agree, and I think we should expect to see um, healthcare fraud dominate the filings. I note that a lot of people are watching to see whether the Supreme Court grants a pending petition for sorcery in the care alternatives case, which is a case from the Third Circuit that raises a long disputed question of whether and when a scientific, clinical, or medical opinion can be false under the False Claims Act. The Care Alternatives case sets the stage for the Supreme Court to resolve a circuit split on this very issue. And, and while it raises the question certainly in the context of healthcare um, and in Care Alternatives, specifically in the context of hospice eligibility, Uh, Should the court um, grant cert a potentially broader opinion concerning whether subjective determinations can be false? could have significant implications, not just in the healthcare industry, but in any industry where certifications have this element of subjectivity baked in. And specifically, as we've just been talking about, with all of the COVID-19 related funding and the certifications that attend receipt of those funds, um, should the court grant cert in rule in care alternatives like a lot of False Claims Act jurisprudence, where it is developed in the healthcare industry, I think there are lessons that can be extrapolated to other industries. And so um, we will be watching quite carefully to see whether or not the Supreme Court does grant cert in that matter because I think it will have significant impact on False Claims Act cases uh, in healthcare and beyond.
0: Thank you, Maria, and I'd like to thank both of you for joining me today. It's been a great discussion. Thank you for listening. If you're interested in any of the issues raised during this podcast, we would love to discuss them in more depth. Please feel free to reach out to any of our podcast participants to talk through any questions or comments you may have. For additional analysis on this topic and others around the FCA, please download our latest publication, False Claims Act 2020 Guide and the Road Ahead from HoganLevels.com.